awesome to have all of you guys here. Uh, sincerely, if it's your first time or you, you've just started joining uh, us around here, it's an honor to have you guys here. I hope you've had an incredible Wednesday. Um, there are certain Christian cuss words that we use. Uh, one that I talk about all the time is the, is the Christian F word, and uh, the Christian F word is fine. Um, the culture that I grew up, everyone was always fine, right? So you ask how someone's doing, and, and all Christians have learned, it seems, how to say fine all the time. That's their great answer. So that's the Christian uh, F word, but there is a Christian S word as well. And uh, my proposal to you is that the Christian S word is, is this, is single. Um, it seems that no one uh, ever desires this, wants this, wants to live or spend a day in it. Uh, from the, the beginnings of uh, middle school uh, all the way through, right? It, it seems that to say that someone is single is, is a means of uh, ostracizing them from community, right? And uh, just in a quick search, I was curious of, of what on Google, and as a particular Google images have to say about singleness. And, and right, there's all kinds of ways to approach this. Uh, I found this. This was pretty interesting. If one more person asks me why I'm single, they are getting hit with this bat. Um, how, many, how many of you guys are, right, amen that? Anyone? Okay. Thank you, my dear friend Kristen. Um, so, you know, there, there comes with it a certain level of frustration, you know, like, hey, well, why? So are you, are you married, right? Are you, you, you dating anyone? And, and some of you have been asked that for many years, and, and you do. Like, you ultimately, you, in the sinful depth of your heart, you want to hurt somebody, right? And, and I just, I want to, I just want to address that and say you're not, certainly not alone. Um, this was interesting to me as well. I, I found this curious. Eight planets, 204 countries, 809 islands, seven seas, six billion people, and I'm single, right? So if you do the quick math, right, it's like, what, what in the world is going on, okay? And, and then the thing that I found most often is that uh, the single folk, it seems, are consistently saying cliches to try to convince themselves of, of certain things, as if they need to, right? And so I found this, uh, this that I thought, you know, yes, I'm single, stress is now gone, life is easier, right? And it's like, if you say this enough when you're single, okay, I mean, I've heard all kinds of things, right? Look, I'm just, it's just me and Jesus, Jesus is my boyfriend right now, like, or, or you know, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so enjoying this time of, of singleness, and I... I always wonder when I'm, when I'm talking with those folks, do you really believe that? Um, single is certainly in our culture a cuss word, it seems. I want to propose to you tonight that it shouldn't be so. Uh, you see, uh, right now my children are single. Nine, six, and five. Uh, when I was seven, I hate to admit, I had my first girlfriend, Amy Bursler. She lived across the street. I would go out uh, at night and shoot hoops, and I would see her, uh, like, peeking her little, you know, seven-year-old fingers through the door, watching me uh, shoot hoops, and, and so that's why I, like, I literally shot hoops every night, right, because I just wanted to impress Amy Bursler. I'm thankful that my daughter hasn't yet approached me and asked if she can date somebody, but I realized this, that I better as a parent understand biblical singleness because I'm shepherding three single people right now. I'm going to teach three people every single day in my home what biblical singleness really looks like. And if I just adhere to the culture and let them get caught up in puppy dog love 
It's possible that what I'll do to my kids is encourage the hurt that some of you endured even in middle school. Some of your deepest pain comes from that little cute little relationship in middle school where someone checked on the bottom of the piece of paper, I love you, and then two days later broke up with you. And you have since that day been incredibly scarred, haven't you? Right? I mean, you haven't sent one more note to anyone saying I love you. You've been fearful of that. What if that returns, right? I don't want that. Well, here's what's going on, okay? All through uh, the last chapter and a half of 1 Corinthians Paul has been addressing the married, he's been addressing the divorced, he's, he's tonight going to really address the single. And, uh, and some of you are married, you're like, whoo, I'm glad I'm out of that stage. But again, I want to propose to you this, that, that if you've got kids, this subject so desperately applies to you. If you have friends that are single, this subject so desperately applies to you. If tonight you are single, this subject is confronting you right in the face. And ultimately tonight, what seems like a teaching about singleness will provide so much more for us. So I know that many of you are here for the first time, so I think it's helpful if we look at the very easy teachings that we've been at in the last chapter and a half. Let's start with this. Okay, this was really, really easy. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. We were here about a month ago, right? Really easy teaching, easy to follow. No one here is struggling with that. Let's move on, Okay. Um, To the unmarried, he said in chapter 7, and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, and Paul says, as I am. Uh, Certainly some have contended that maybe Paul was married in a previous life. Uh, Jared taught uh, that that component of scripture, uh, at least a possibility, but certainly when he ministers, begins his apostleship as he's sent out to plant churches, he is single, either as uh, he had no wife or his wife had passed away, probably, okay? But then he says in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Some of you have celebrated this verse, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Um, Again, really, really easy teaching, lighthearted stuff. Then we moved on to this, okay? This was just after these verses. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife, okay? So we were teaching and walking through and learning about biblical divorce. It is a heavy topic. Jesus provides uh, one exception clause, okay? Sec- uh, the, the exemption clause being uh, when uh, adultery has happened in the home. But Paul is pleading for marriages to, to stick together. And what's happened in Corinth, I'll just remind all of you, is that many of these marriages are, are brand new believers. The gospel has come in Corinth Either one spouse or both spouses are coming to Christ and it's creating a lot of tension in the home. In fact, some of uh, those who have come to Christ, married to now uh, a non-believer, are wanting to leave and get the heck out of Dodge. Instead, what Paul is saying is remain, remain. And then finally, we wrestle with this really easy text. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This was the last verse we studied last week. The encouragement was that the, the pastures always seem greener. And some of you are utterly exhausted, pursuing, seeking after, going after the next greener pasture. And so now we come to tonight's text. I want to do something different tonight. I want to start actually about in the halfway point of this text. Because it's in the halfway point that Paul really builds his thesis in tonight's teaching. So let's look at this. Okay, in verse 35. 
of 1 Corinthians 7. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, look at this, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Everything that Paul says tonight about singleness and about marriage is working to this end. Everything is building to this desire in his heart that he longs out of the followers of Christ in Corinth to follow Christ with a devotion that is not divided at all. Well, my question, the difficult piece that I've had to wrestle with in my own life is undivided devotion to the Lord even possible? Uh, Just by going uh, by the example of our lives right now, it would seem no, right? Does your life communicate an undivided devotion, one focus, one clear initiative to give the Lord glory in all things and in all ways? Does it seem like that's reality? I feel like tonight's text is so much from my heart, and I pray for yours. So open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Beautiful, beautiful text. Is undivided attention and devotion to the Lord even possible? Let's start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. When you're there, say, I'm there. There we go, and certainly it will be on the screens as well to help guide you along. Verse 25, look, look at this. Now concerning the betrothed, it's already a, a little bit of a tricky idea. Uh, in the Greek, betrothed is virgin. Okay, and, and what Paul is assuming, okay, though certainly not the case in all situations, he's assuming that the betrothed or the unmarried in this case are virgins. So his directed teaching to this point are to those who are not married. Now concerning the betrothed, look at this. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. We've seen this kind of language before in 1 Corinthians, right? Where Paul says, uh, not the Lord, but I. And I contend it to you then, and I'll do the same now. Okay, is Paul saying that now he is stepping out of the inspired word of God? Is right now he's saying like, look, everything else that I've said has really been uh, at the direction of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I'm just going to give you my two cents. Like, is that really what he's doing? Our contention is clearly no. Paul and every biblical writer are communicating the truth inspired, spoken by God. This is all of God's word, not one piece here and one piece there. So what Paul is certainly uh, uh, directing our attention to, and certainly his readers in Corinth, is this. That he's not banking what he's about to say on teachings from, in my Bible, what are the red letters or the words of Jesus. He's banking now his teaching on the way that the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing his life. And so to the not married, to the betrothed, here's what he says. I think, verse 26, that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So let me communicate that in our language. To the single person, it's good to remain single. And you're like, heck, no, it's not. Like, what are you, right? Like, Paul, I don't think, I don't think you understand what you're talking about. I don't, Paul, I don't know how many weddings you've been to where you've been the the bridesmaid and not the bride, right? Paul, I don't know how many weddings you've been to where where you've been a groomsman and not the groom. Like, Paul, this this is not good. But what does he point to in verse uh, 26? In the current what? 
What's, what's the word he uses? Distress. Now, uh, he could be pointing to the persecution that will begin very heavily at the hands of Nero ten years later. Knowing the persecution is coming to Corinth, it already exists a little bit, but it's about ready from the Roman uh, emperor to get very, very hot and heavy ten years later. Uh, so he could certainly be, be pointing to that, or just generally... The call to Christ, what we see scripturally, what many other doctrines don't adhere to, the call to Christ never promises safety and security in the flesh. Right? Never. There's never a, you're not going to die. There's never a, it's not going to hurt. There's never a, you're not going to suffer. In fact, scripture points to much the opposite. You follow Christ, what, what comes with it? They hated you. Uh, they're going to hate, uh, they hated me. They're going to hate you. That's what Jesus tells the disciples. So what he's saying is to this Precious new believer in Corinth who's single. Listen, in the current distress, it will provide an easier means of following Christ if you stay single. Uh, you're, you're saying, you know, is, he, is he pitting singleness against marriage? Well, not really. What he's saying is, when you're single, you have certain freedoms. So like, for instance, if I right now, if, if I just felt like God had said, all right, Mark, I want, you to, I want you to give up everything that you have. I want you to leave Matthias, and I want you to go plant a church, okay, in the central pieces of, you know, some abandoned country in this very uh, uh, tribal area. Mark, I, I just want you to go and do that. Well, if it was just me, like I had no Heidi, I had no Avery Dawson and Maddox, right? Like, if I wasn't looking around me saying, like, I got a family, like... I, I love adventure. So I'd be like, God, seriously? Like, are you, do I get to fly on like a biplane or something, right? Do I, are there going to be alligators and snakes? Like, that would be hardcore, God, right? There would be, be a certain level of excitement in me. But I have to be honest, if God had called me to that right now, I would be looking at my wife, who's very practical, by the way. And, and I would be looking at her and I'd be like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like the, the difficulty of doing that... It, with her, even though it would be beautiful, it, it adds a, a new element. As I look at my three kids and I, I start to imagine the reality, the new reality for them. I'm not saying that we wouldn't obey, but what I'm saying is it, is it becomes, can we agree, a little bit more difficult, right? right. Like it, it, just, it just gets a little bit confusing. Like it, it sets you back. Maybe, maybe it causes a little bit more hesitation. Well, singles have often not seen the calling of Christ that way. What I've seen in the Christian church is singles actually see it as a curse and not a gift. God, why am I single? Instead of, God, thank you for this season of my life, and maybe that season is very extended that you've allowed me to be single. Am I saying that, it, that marriage isn't adventurous? Oh, no. Oh, no. Marriage has plenty of adventure. But I think you'd agree that what Paul's saying is, listen, if persecution is at hand, if distress is at hand... It's a little easier to die for the gospel when there aren't three kids' mouths to feed. Agree? That's what he's saying. That's, that's his point here. Okay? Unbridled devotion to God, it seems like, gets a little bit more tricky when you're married. Now he says some, what I, what I would call some kind of funny language. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? <laughs> and I just think that's a really interesting way to say it, right? Um, <laughs> Right? Like, are you, are you bound to a wife? Like, and, and, and some of you certainly feel that way. You know, some of you, maybe even at times, 
Okay, now laughing aside, some of you feel like you're in a situation you can't get out of, but look what Paul says. Do you seek to be free? Are you free from a wife? Do you seek a wife? He says in verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. Right? Because some of you were like, okay, hold on a second. Is this teaching saying that I should stay in my singleness forever and ever, right? Like, God, I I don't think so. Like, that's not really what I desire. Even Simba got married, okay? But if you do marry, you, if you do marry, you have not sinned. Look at this. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, look at this truth. Those who marry, hello, will have what? Come on. Worldly what? Troubles. And I would spare you that. Okay, so every couple here who is married, again, like, you're starting to get the sense that Paul's like anti-marriage, which he is certainly not. He sees marriage as a gift. He teaches that in many places in his other letters, and certainly in 1 Corinthians as well. But you would have to agree with me that marriage is beautifully difficult. Is that fair? I mean, it is beautifully difficult. It, It brings upon itself a certain level of challenge where um, if I'm just single, I just got like 1-800-myself to do some sinning, you know? And that's trouble enough. But then when I join with a woman who certainly is being sanctified in Christ, my beautiful wife Heidi, now you have her uh, battle with the flesh and my battle with the flesh, and now you put us together. And what does that create? A beautiful, difficulty, hot mess, Right? And it's, it's awesome. Wouldn't change it, wouldn't trade it for anything. Okay. But what Paul's saying is, listen to the singles. Please see what you have as a clear gift from the Lord. Now, to that point, I want to wrestle with um, uh, some difficult truth. Next slide. Why being single is difficult in our culture. And I would have to assume that it was much the same in Corinth. Let's look at this. Maybe this will relate to some of you. Number one, the question, is there something wrong with me? What's crazy about singleness, it does not matter the age. It does not matter the age. I've seen 12-year-olds wrestle with this question just like 30-year-olds. All my friends have girlfriends. What's wrong with me? Am I I not acceptable? Am Am I not worthy enough? Now, for the believer in the room who is single, and for the parent in the room who will shepherd children who are single, do you understand this beautiful opportunity in this question of insecurity to breathe the gospel into the hearts of our kids and one another? Right? Because insecurity says, says, is there something wrong with me? But the opportunity I have for my nine-year-old daughter who is single right now, praise be to God, is I have the opportunity to breathe the gospel in her and remind her every single day where her worth and value comes from. It will never come from Beavis McGee over here who tries to woo her heart, right? Ever. Her worth and value will always come from Christ, always. And I get that chance now, even at nine years old, right? And some of you guys have heard some of the stories already. I mean, there's been boys that have already stepped to my daughter, okay? There was one at McDonald's a couple years ago when she was seven, right? I had found out that this kid was kind of, you know, he wanted to talk to Avery, and, and Avery told me this, thankfully. And I walked right up to him at the, in the McDonald's playground. The McDonald's had just shut down, RIP, okay? I walked right up to him, 
in the McDonald's playground, I was like, hey, hey, what's your name, man? And he told me, I was like, I'm Avery's dad, you know? And I was like, I just want to let you know, bro, you need to ask me before you talk to her, right? And that was the last he ever talked to her. Praise be to God, right? But that, that's what I get. That's the opportunity I get. Okay. I get this beautiful chance to end my kids now. Breathe this. It's not a man or a woman that gives you value. Listen, I can't make any of you believe it. We're single right now, and you won't be able to make your kids believe it. But my friends, can you just hear the truth? Can you just hear it? The second reason why it's so difficult being single in our culture, the constant pressure of time. 24, not married, not following the American timeline. What's your problem, right? You didn't graduate and then get married. You got issues, apparently. If that's true, then everything that Paul is saying is false. Do we, you guys understand? If singleness isn't a gift, if singleness uh, isn't at times a massive blessing for the calling of God to use people, then this sense of the constant pressure of time, oh, I have to get married, I have to find the one, I have to pursue this, or I'm going to be behind everyone else. I cannot wait. I cannot wait till the day when my daughter, when my sons, I pray by God's grace, see this truth, that they are not on the world's timeline, that they do not exist underneath the stopwatch of a sinful, fallen, depraved world. Instead, they sit underneath the time, the time of the one who created it. And I cannot wait, I cannot wait till they believe and here, sit underneath that truth. It is such a freeing truth. And for, for tonight, if you're struggling and wrestling with this, it would be a freeing truth for you. Constant pressure of time makes it certainly difficult. Uh, and finally, why being single is so difficult in our uh, culture. Singleness seems only celebrated. And it got cut off there. But it, it seems only celebrated like in, in terms of uh, our, our culture's understanding of singleness. So it, it seems like it's, it's just celebrated in these small pockets of time. It seems like it's, it's not really celebrated by the church. It seems like it's not really celebrated by, by this segment. And so what it creates is if you're single, then you're actually in this group back here. We have a, we have a special ministry for you, right? It's called the out of college and the not yet married And instead, what that group should be called is the opportunity to be incredibly free to serve the Lord. Like, that's that's the ministry title we should put on that group. And listen, when that group of people see the beauty of singleness, and again, you try to convince yourself of all kinds of things, but when that group of people sees the beauty of singleness, oh my goodness, the freedom uh, that comes. There's a girl right now being called out on international mission to South Africa from our body, right? Single. Headed to South Africa. She doesn't have to like look around and say, what about this husband or what about these kids? Like God just calls her and she goes. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So let's look at how now Paul uh, continues to teach this. Look at this. This is what I mean, which I love when Paul says this, right? Because sometimes it's like deciphering code, okay? This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown what? Come on. Very short. Okay, okay, okay. So pause. Uh, for the doomsday folks here, you're like, okay, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure Corinth was written a little while ago. 
And so let's call it, you know, mid-50s, early 60s. If Corinth was written then, I'm going to carry the one. And there's been a whole lot of time that has expanded since then. So, so why does Paul teach and believe that, that the time is short? Why, why does he somehow adhere to this sense of urgency when clearly maybe he misinterpreted the times? What Paul is echoing is the same thing, the teachings of Jesus. He's echoing the reality that if we don't adhere to, we lose urgency and find ourselves complacent. And that reality is any hour, and the hour is unknown. The return of Christ will be at any hour, and the hour is unknown. And because of that, then it comes with it a sense of urgency. And so what Paul says is the time is, is coming soon. The appointed time has grown very short. Look at this. From now on then... Let those who have wives live as though they had none. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't seem like sound doctrine. Just wait a second, okay? And those who mourn as those who, who were not mourning. And those who rejoice as, those, uh, as, those, as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What is Paul saying? The best parallel that I have from the teachings of Jesus is uh, a story that he um, shares from the Gospels where uh, a follower of his comes up and, and mentions a funeral that's happening. And what Jesus tells him is, is let, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, certainly Jesus wasn't devaluing the family or devaluing mourning. But what he was escalating was what it meant to follow him. Paul tells the single. Paul tells everyone else. The time is very, very short, and this present world is passing away. And so because of that, an undivided devotion is needed. Let me ask you this. Next slide. Do you believe the present form of this world is passing away. It's interesting, right? How much we say that we believe statements like this, but our life says otherwise. We've set up camp. Everything we do is about building a kingdom for ourselves here. I mean, we're comfy. Okay, we, well, I mean, we've, we bought the most expensive pillow, right? Some of you guys travel with your, with your pillow, okay? I'm not condemning that. It's just a little weird, okay? Um, <laughs> Right, like we're, we're very, very, we're, we're a cozy kind of people. We've really set up camp. So we'll sing, this present world is passing away, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We'll say all kinds of statements like that. What I want to ask you, what I really want to ask myself is do I believe that? Because when I believe that, then it shapes the sense of urgency in which I live. Are you guys with me? If I really believe that everything here and now is temporal, and there's one thing that's eternal, then it shapes everything. Everything. Next slide. Look at this. So this is where we were last week. The levels of obedience in our perception, and if you're just joining us, what I said last week was that we don't like the basic because it's too uh, remedial in terms of obedience. We really, really, really like the comfortable we like following God as long as it fits in the confines of our understanding. The moment it gets scary, 
We're like, I, I don't think so, God, right? Like, listen, listen, you and I are like, we're good at hanging out uh, in the color here in the purple. We're great at that. Okay, uh, God, anything else? I don't think so. We don't want to get to the scary and the untouchable is only, you know, for a Jesus-loving kind of Mary Teresa kind of figure, only for the super hardcore. If you really believe that this present world is passing away, that times are urgent, that an undivided devotion is our gift and opportunity in Christ, then there are no categories. Then everything that would come in the scripture and everything that would come from the mouth of God through the Holy Spirit is obedience. I've been asking myself since last week kind of a difficult question. I'll ask it to you now just for fun. If I, Mark Sickler, right now, said, all right, God, I want to follow you completely. I, I said in my prayer last week, I'm scared. I'm scared to do that. But if I said, all right, God, I want to follow you. And I took the entire beautiful scripture of God and I said, all right, God, I want to follow you based on your word. What would have to change right now? That's what I've been asking myself. In other words, if these commandments, the beautiful gifts, come in the form of commandments in the scripture, if I really desired to have undivided devotion to God, and I said, all right, God, I want to obey you in everything, what would need to change? You guys understand? Well, what I've come to realize is, I say I want to obey God, but I'm not really sure if I want to go all the way. Right? Oh, God, like 85% of this is great. Like, I'm an 85%er, God, right? That's got to count for something, right? But the beautiful thing in Christ is he has counted already for everything. That means that every facet of our obedience is in response to what Christ has done, you see? It's not us trying to earn something. And so me following the commandments of God, guided by the Holy Spirit, isn't so that I can present myself to God and say, ta-da, look what I've done. I perfectly obeyed you, even in the scary God. I was even kind of like a Jesus-loving Mother Teresa kind of person. I don't have to do that. I get to say, Christ. Christ was all for me. Christ is all. Your son paid the price, lived perfectly. And so my response to you now, God, is obedience fully, not 85%. And this is the point, right, where every Christian uh, teaching says, but we're going to fail. And that's true. Not lessening the truth. Not lessening the understanding of that. But is that, should that be our mantra? Hey, we're going to fail, so we got some failing to do, right? Hey, everyone, we're going to struggle, so let's just go struggle. It should, is that our mantra? No, our mantra is, I desire to have an undivided devotion to you, oh God, because of how incredibly awesome you are and that you've extended grace on my life, though I was very deserving. And when I do stumble and struggle in the flesh, when the old man rears his ugly head, yet again in that moment I get the opportunity through the Spirit to quickly repent and turn back to God. That's the beauty. It's not a bunch of Christians, right, in a hoedown of how much can we struggle. How much can we get away with? How much can we tow the line? I've had to wrestle with some hard truths. So I'm asking you again, do you really believe the world is passing away? If so, Paul's messages to the single, Paul's messages to the married is then it comes with it a life of undivided devotion to God. So let's keep going because this gets even a lot easier. This is really, really great. Um, Verse 32. I want you, he says in verse 32, to be free from anxieties. 
This is really interesting. Hello, this is going to become some of your bumper stickers. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> All right. And again, I know like some of you can read that and you'll be like, Paul's anti-marriage. I hate Paul. You know, listen. He's putting things in perspective. He's not saying he, hate, he hates marriage. And Paul would recognize surely that the single individual has every opportunity to obey God or run from God, just like the married. Are we, are we together? Married couple has every opportunity to obey God together, live in that beautiful difficulty together, and be sanctified together. Every married couple has that opportunity. Every single person has that opportunity. But his intention now is to say it certainly seems like the, the single man's anxieties are, are how to follow the Lord. Which is why, which is why, if you're single here right now, though your parents have told you this, though friends have texted you this before, and I can't make you believe this, but listen, if you stopped thinking of yourself so much, if you stopped focusing so much on when you're going to find a mate, you will be so freed to obey God. What I've told some single folks, um, and I want to share this with you, is I really believe that when the single are freed to obey God and they run after the Lord, what happens is, um, the, uh, let's, let's call them, for lack of a better term, um, some of the, uh, and especially what I tell our college students, some of the 18, 19-year-old you know, young men, 20-year-olds that you know, believe in God, Right? Who really just want the strong Christian girl because, you know, they think she's pure and they can somehow defile that or ruin that, which happens a lot. Okay? What I say is when you're running hard after the Lord, what happens is eventually you look to your left and your right. And there are some other men and women who are running hard after the Lord as well. And the chaff have kind of been left back in the wind. Again, I'm not diminishing these, these folks, but I'm saying really what they're interested in is not running after the Lord. Now, am I saying if you're single here that you're for sure going to get married? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is when your focus is running after the Lord with a sense of urgency, let the Lord take care of the rest. That is all of our freedom in Christ. We get to, in Christ, run hard after the Lord, rest in His mercy and grace, and let Him take care of the rest. All in joy. All in hope. So he says, again, kind of interesting, uh, the married man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And the interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your, here we go, what's, what's, what is it? Come on. Secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. All of this stuff, all of this teaching, all of what I've communicated, I've said it to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So let's talk to the married uh, here real quick. You're like, whew, I'm glad. I mean, we kind of got off the hook. It was kind of like everything to the marriage was kind of funny tonight, right? Yeah, not so much right now. Um, 
I've said it once, I'll say it thrice. There is only one reason in Christ that you are married to that husband or wife of yours. Only one reason. And that reason is simply to follow Christ in all things and in all ways, glorifying God in your marriage. That's it. We're longing for simplicity and yet we're missing the simple call. I mean, we, we want it. We want a very clear, simple, understandable call. I don't believe we can make it any more clear. You are married to that spouse by God's grace in an undeserving kind of way so that together you could follow Christ with an undivided devotion through his spirit. And here's what I recognize is that many marriages here tonight aren't in that situation. So the question is, what do you do? Where do we start? We feel distant as a couple. We're very distant from God's word. Our prayer rhythm is non-existent. I don't feel like the man is leading me at all. So we feel like you're pulling your wife along, trying to help her be missional, and she's just not getting it. What do you do? I want to encourage every single, every single marriage tonight. No matter what situation, season, struggle you're in, what if tonight? What if tonight? In spite of all the awkwardness, in spite of all of the tension that it could bring, what if tonight you get on your knees on the side of your bed and you held hands tight and you pleaded to the Lord and asked for his help, guidance, strength, hope in your marriage. And you're like, Mark, but what about the self-help stuff? But, but Mark, what, what, what book are you going to recommend? But Mark, what about this? There's some things that are very helpful in our culture in those things. But listen, the beautiful piece of a couple on their knees pleading to the throne of God together, asking even if their marriage has never been, for their marriage now to undergo a certain kind of revival? Doesn't that stir in some of you right now, men and women? I would hope if you're single, that's the kind of marriage that you're longing for. One that doesn't just say the right things or raise their hands at the right songs and look like things are really devoted to the Lord, but then you go home and it's really about you in all, in all ways. And again, I know some of you guys are like, well, we're not going to do that because then it would be weird because that's what Mark said we should do. Okay. okay, then listen. Whatever it means in your context, what does it look like for you, husband and wife, even tonight again, just to say, God, here we are. We got kids that we feel like are falling away. We, we don't know how to shepherd their hearts. We're fixing their behavior. We're, our finances are a mess. We got tremendous stress. It's so easy to get distracted, God. Our undivided devotion feels insanely divided. God, help us. What I've realized is that marriages aren't asking for the help of God. They often find themselves asking for the help of others. Women asking for the help of girlfriends. Dudes asking for the help of, they don't really talk, I guess, to other people. Men asking for help from uh, ESPN, um, and, right? It was like, to the single, to the married, this beautiful, beautiful call. 
So then Paul ends this text with this, and we have a lot to wrestle with. Look at this. If, if anyone, verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, okay, towards his uh, new, uh, going to be new spouse, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Again, freedom, okay? But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do, what does the scripture say? He he will do well. Again, like the pressure's off, the pressure's off. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do, he says, even better. Paul doesn't intend in this, in this moment for us to, to build, uh, I believe, you know, systems and rhythms and doctrines of, of singleness. But his point is very, very, very clear. He started this whole text by talking to the betrothed, by talking to the single, by talking to what he wished in the Greek, the virgins. He says, listen, you've maybe discounted yourself and li- listened to the lies of the culture and the enemy that say that you're worthless, that you're no good, but actually maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe you have opportunity that you never even realized. I love and cherish and am so encouraged in this body that I see, honestly, so many single men and women who are above the American average age of marriage who are desiring to follow Christ. And I know it's difficult at times. I've walked with them through that. I know there's times where they're like looking in the mirror saying like, okay, I love my singleness, I love my singleness, I love it, and they're trying to convince them. I know, I know they go through that, but the beautiful piece is when the single find rhythms, this undivided devotional heart is incredible. So he ends it with this in verse 39 and 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. What do you mean? Come on, hello, right? Only in the Lord. Uh, the same idea that we talk about with the singles, that you're to, to not be unequally yoked, that you're to marry those who follow Christ. Now he points uh, the picture to those who have been widowed, as it were. Yet in my judgment, finally in verse 40, she is happier if she remains as she is. You don't see the word happy in the scripture very often, right? That she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God pointing to his own situation. Now, I know many of you are like, well, that was a lot of verses, and I'm not really sure how to walk away from this. Let's start here. Next slide. Divided devotion crushes the soul in the exhausting pursuit of what each object might provide. His point in this whole text, though the dominating idea to teach it, his singleness and marriage, his driving point is we are called by the grace of God to an undivided devotion to God. So then my questions are, next slide, are this. Why are we lured by divided devotion? In other words, why do we get lured to, I'm going to kind of devote or be allegiant or be loyal to God but I'm also going to be super loyal and uh, allegiant to my work, and I'm also going to be super loyal and allegiant to, to my family. And again, we create like these categories, these divided sections of our life, these compartments of our life. 
And it is incredibly exhausting. In other words, when you desire to devote everything to God and then everything funnels underneath that. When devotion to family funnels underneath devotion to God. You see the difference? Then your life has one simple purpose. Glorify God. You don't have to go glorify God, uh, try to lead my family, try to be a good employee, you know, try to be a good student. You get to say, God, I, de- I desire in all things and all ways to be undividedly devoted to you and everything else in my life will funnel from that piece. To me, that's simple, that's clear, but why are we lured? Number one, here's why we're lured. It provides escape. Come on, you like wake up one day, you're like, today's the day. You just watch Gladiator or some other inspiring movie, right? You're like, today's the day. I mean, I'm living for God with reckless abandon. You even hit play, you got a soundtrack going, right? You put on the full armor of God, literally, you know, like you find some shield, okay? You're like, all right, Satan, it's me versus you, let's go, right? I mean, you get all of a sudden, you get fired up. But then the feelings or the emotions or the things that it is or not providing. All of a sudden you're like, well, well, maybe, maybe if I devote everything to providing for my family, maybe if God can kind of just, you know, maybe if God can kind of sit underneath that for a little while, then maybe just maybe I'll find myself again. Maybe just maybe like that, that's what I'll, maybe just maybe I'll like find my manhood. Uh, for the singles, right? It's like, it's like, well, maybe just maybe if I, if I even though I know I shouldn't in this moment, uh, even, even if I just jump into this relationship that I know is far from the Lord, like maybe it will provide me an escape from pure devotion to God. Do you understand how scary that is? When we are literally wanting escape from a life devoted to God. Does anyone else feel the weight of that right now? It's too heavy, it's, it's too much, it feels too burdensome, and all of those lies are completely counter the gospel. The gospel is we come to Him in freedom, we come to Him only by His grace, we experience tremendous amounts of love and mercy, and we're free to obey Him, led by the Spirit of God, and yet the old man, our sinful flesh, uh, the lies in our minds say, no, we need escape from that, we just got some sinning to do for a little while. I mean, I can't live for Christ like all the time, seriously? Like, brother, brother's got brother's to get almost on the precipice of drunkenness every once in a while. I mean, brother's got to kind of have a loose tongue around that crew of people. Come on, we can't, we can't talk purely all the time. What would God want of us? Surely not perfection. We're lured by it, secondly, because of this. The object promises it is worthy of devotion. The job promises. It promises. You go all in here, you're going to go places. Listen, you can't let all these other things distract you. If you go all in here in this workplace, we'll compensate you. You'll feel so good about yourself. Victory will be yours. Your family, you go all in with your family. You're like, well, Mark, aren't we to... 
Aren't we to devote ourselves to our family? Not more than the Lord. I would say that is a lust in Christendom. Oftentimes we place our family, our family structure, our family pursuits, and we're kind of like, and God kind of is supporting that. Instead of, no, our family gets to be an expression of what God is doing. An opportunity to hone and understand. But every opportunity to devote our lives to something else promises, promises huge gains, huge victories, huge. And then when you get there, what do you find out? You know the taste of grace. You've experienced the power of the gospel. And you find yourself in those other areas that promised so much. And they always underdeliver. always Small pieces of hope, little stirrings of emotion, stroking of the insecurity. But never, never what a bloody cross and an empty tomb and an infiltrated heart with the Holy Spirit has ever done, ever. We're lured by it though. Maybe just maybe I can find myself in this relationship, in this job, in this dollar. Next slide. We're lured by divided devotion. Hello, hello. Oh my goodness. What, what, is there a scientific word for the fear of commitment? Brownfield, you're, you're a smart guy. Is there a, scientific word for the, is there a scientific word for the fear of commitment? You do not know. Let's call it commitment phobia, as it were. Could we go with that? Does anyone else know? Come on. There has to be some word for this. We're a brilliant congregation. Okay. If I fully commit, that means I'm fully in, and I just, I always want to leave myself an out. That is how most of us operate. Listen, to fully commit is to fully trust. I don't fully trust nothing. Right? So I'm lured to divided uh, attention and devotion because then I never have to fully commit to anything. I can give God a little something, I can give Job a little something, I can give family a little something. I never have to go all in. I never have to say, I'm I'm completely all in. And that is where so many of you find yourselves tonight. And yet somewhere in the longings of our hearts, somewhere in there, I believe God's people are longing devotion to him. That's why it's important to ask this. Next slide. Is it possible? What do you think? See, every time in this body in particular that we get to moments like this, there's only one place to turn. Check this out from the Gospel of John. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The teachings of Jesus pierce, pierce religiosity. 
everything in religion, everything that was coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law was build us up, was make our kingdom. And yet Jesus consistently in the Gospels was the Son of Man must die, the Son of Man must suffer, the Son of Man will be broken and then raised again. Crazy language. Next slide, look at this. The teaching even goes further. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life, what? In this what? Come on. In this world. Why? Because the world, as, as we know it, is passing away. We're amiss, the scripture says. It's going. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Anyone, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant, what? Come on, come on. Beautiful text. Beautiful text. And where I am, there my servant be also. Where I go, you go. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Please see this. Next slide. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Jesus says. His death in the forefront. Father, save me from this hour. Instead, he says, it's for this very purpose I have come to this hour. He comes to this moment where he says, fully devote or be divided. All in to the wishes, commands, leadership of the Father or fall away. Should I pray and cry out, Lord, to save me from this moment or Jesus says this. Father, glorify your name. Again, I know it seems like tonight um, was about singleness or about marriage. But isn't it awesome that what Jesus has done in coming to this earth in flesh and blood is he has made through his life, not ours, through his life, he's made it possible to be undividedly attentive and devoted to God. We will not do it perfectly, but he did. Are we together? That is why we come to this table tonight. You're single in here, you're married in here, you, whatever, wherever place you're at, God has called us in his son to enjoy the bounty of an undivided attentiveness and devotion and loyalty to him and him alone. And so we need his grace. We need his guidance. And so thankfully tonight as a body, we can celebrate what we have in remembering the broken body of Jesus. He broke the bread and he told his disciples to take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Remember that it's only through me. It's only through me. And then he held up the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. So tonight this table, this meal is for all believers here. To come and pull a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup. And what this walk is, what this meal is for all of us tonight is us exclaiming together, Father, glorify your name. In my singleness, glorify your name. In my marriage, glorify your name. 
In our body, glorify your name. In our city, glorify your name. In our mission, in the world, our partnership in Ecuador, all God, glorify your name. Let's put that on our lips tonight. Let's make that our prayer, church. So come to this meal, come to this table tonight with confidence, not in our gifts, but in a sacrificial and risen reigning Lord. Respond when you're ready, church. Let's celebrate tonight.